coming to you live, but not really. It is all pomp and no circumstance with Ryder Richards on LetUsThinkAboutIt.com, the amateur hour you should never tune into. Welcome back. This is Ryder Richards with Let Us Think About It. Okay, having a few technical difficulties today, but we're gonna work through it. Okay, let's see. Rough idea of where we're going here. Last episode, we talked about playing the game, and that's believing in the black and white grid and really getting competitive and yelling things like, off with their heads, instead of remembering that it's actually just a game. Now, this plays out in politics very obviously, but our entire system here of capitalism and bureaucracy, it's full of double binds, and double binds are where you lose either way, and this can lead to insanity and death, and it also normalizes nonsensical, wasteful practices seen in movies such as Catch-22. Now, today we're going to be looking at the more totalizing repression of the populace through consumerism. That's right, your favorite. <laughs> so sure, of uh, capitalism here and management, these are still the frameworks, but a useful way to really think about them is that they have a survival instinct, and that's testing and utilizing these kind of tools, such as consumerism, to neutralize and absorb the rebellious energies that threaten. And of course, the threatening rebels, that's, that's us, right? And then we're the ones who need to be pacified and controlled. We need to be put to use producing and consuming stuff. And of course, as we discussed last time, the best way to keep the kids busy and distracted is to have them play a game. Part one, absorption. Capitalism both expands and absorbs everything. That's its point. It's also kind of its superpower or its villainy. Last episode, I called it slime because it seems to overrun things and make them part of itself, just digesting them. Even criticism of capitalism becomes sold. And this generates proponents of capitalism to protect it, right? Who fight back and they write even more books about how great it is. And perhaps along the way, everyone is making some sweet ideological swag, baby. Perhaps a fundraiser tote bag for all that outrage. Now, the absorption of opposition is also called internalization. Uh, where we can appear here to be the external rebels to the system, as we kind of talked about with Elvis Presley's wild hip movements, right? And this music that he was appropriating from black culture, and how those kind of countercultures, those outside cultures, are then converted into money-making production through capitalist processes. So what happens to Elvis is his co-optation serves capital. But because it's a competitive system, any tactic generates counter-tactics, leading to battles that fuel more and more capitalism. Now, a famous example here is, even if you're a super sincere revolutionary, like Che Guevara, right, you manifest outrage until you become the voice of others. And as you or your movement becomes famous, your fame is used. Now it has utility, and it leads to feeding the consumers to entertainment cycle, the opposing war machine, and eventually your face is on a shirt for sale. So that's right, Che Guevara becomes a purchasable identity, ironically, probably made in a sweatshop, oppressing others as a means to signal solidarity with the cause of freedom. The tactic is to take a three-dimensional cause, render it into a lumpy two-dimensional graphic, which is us versus them, black and white, and then reduce it further to a singular aspect of unaware irony, rebellion as purchase, the final reduction to one dimension. Part 2. 
the one-dimensional man. In 1964, Herbert Marcuse, he wrote this book, and it was claimed to be one of the most important of the century. That book is called The One-Dimensional Man. The book tackles capitalism and communism, and it shows social repression happening in both societies. It also specifically points out a decline in revolutionary potential in the West. Now, he blames much of this on the advanced industrial society, creating what he calls false needs, where people get caught up producing and consuming in excess. They're urged on and stupefied by things like TV, mass advertising, propaganda, and even workplace management practices such as Taylorism. Now, this consumerism through, let's call it, industrial capitalism, it creates a climate of universal thought. And this promotes marginal differences and overworking, chasing unnecessary, frivolous items. This all sounds familiar, right? Due to this chase for stuff, including of course having to work way too hard just to have your basic needs fulfilled, it drains the aptitude for critical thought and any consideration for opposition or rebellion, because you're in survival mode, or plantitude mode, whatever it is, you're not thinking anymore. And this is where two-dimensional thinking becomes whittled down to one dimension. In dialectics, the world is complex. With each point of view, it has a competing polarity, a, a sort of a dynamic alternate other that you can fight against. But in a reduced, simplified one dimension, there is no conflict anymore. Thus, humans become like automatons or some version of limited machines. Now, to make all of this worse, this universal flattening of values, by everyone being way too caught up in working more to consume more on this kind of consumption hamster wheel, this is a form of social control. Marcuse points out the universality of techno-rationality, that is, technological rationality, it's a term he used, and that is where we reason rationally that tech adoption is good. And then it's released into society, and of course, that changes what's then reasonable in society, and this continues in a cycle. So tech rationality, at some point, became so ubiquitous now as to be unconsidered, unquestioned, and maybe even undeniable. And that means it's a form of control. Marcuse goes so far as to say, we think we live in a democracy. But of course, it's actually totalitarianism. He says it's run by the affluent, what we would of course today call the one percenters, who under the disguise of increasing comfort have increased exploitation. They have manipulated our perceptions, and along the way, this has psychologically destroyed us, limiting our worldview to social connection through material items. While Marcuse's framing of the concept is really different, the one-dimensional man can also, it kind of reminds me of the fulfillment of Nietzsche's concept of the last man. Now, the last man, the man at the end of days who chases, you know, mundane happiness and he's content to work, retire, and vacation. Of course, with the death of God, Nietzsche was really afraid that this kind of nihilism of values would produce such a banal man. And of course, looking around, it certainly has. At the end of Marcuse's book, The One-Dimensional Man, there's a really dark quote by Walter Benjamin. It is only for the sake of those without hope that hope is given to man. Part 3. Cybernetic Systems Theory Okay, let's speak for a moment of the kind of language and framing we're going to be seeing a lot in the next few episodes. This is very popular for philosophers of a certain time. So, when philosophers speak of negativity inside of a system, 
This is, of course, internal negativity rather than external. They're often speaking in terms of cybernetics or cybernetic theory, which is really kind of dynamic self-regulating systems theory. And we're going to discuss a lot more of this in step 66. But the best way right now to think about it is of some sort of thermostat that's regulating pressure in an ever-changing environment. So it accounts for feedback to moderate the system to keep the temperature at the same level as best it can. Now, applied to things like capitalism, you can really see how the consumerism of the one-dimensional man is a means to regulate the destructive tendencies of humans to keep us from getting out of control and exploding something. So the terminology for how this works is that negatives are safety or control mechanisms, keeping the positive energies in check. Now, of course, as the positive energies attempt to proliferate outwards, they start spiraling out of control, and this is when we're in danger of exploding the whole system. Now, another way to think about this is to think of a pressure tank of steam. Now, the control valve is, of course, your negative containing the pressure, but if the pressure builds too much, it risks exploding the whole tank. Now, in this way, for capitalism to really survive and perpetuate, it must somehow absorb diffuse or redirect this energy that builds. Our material wealth and desire, coupled with social and managerial control, yet yeah, that leads to a pretty totalizing regulatory system. A bit more vocabulary here for you if you're not sick of this already, but for Deleuze and Guattari, the term for cybernetic negative is territorialize. Now, this is a kind of negation or blocking to stop something from getting out of control. So you can see how a territory or a fencing in is one way to think of this. So naturally, to deterritorialize is to spin up the positive energy in the system until it flies free, breaking loose all of the constraints. However, according to Mark Fisher, capitalism immediately re-territorializes deterritorialization, sort of simultaneously capturing the excess energy and channeling it, blocking it, and dispersing it. So, of course, welcome to the Cliff Notes version of some concepts. And we're going to, of course, try to bring these up more and more and keep them in mind as we move forward as ways to consider reacting to the double binds of our current system. All right, thank you very much for sticking with me. I'll have another episode coming out shortly, and that one's gonna be on repressive tolerance and artificial negativity, as promised. But since those are based on the one-dimensional man concept, I really kind of felt like we needed to cover that first. Now, I'm trying to lay out a larger framework here. This is almost a series of essays and concepts leading to a larger point, a way of thinking about binaries, competition, capitalism, and systems. Next episode, we're going to introduce a few new concepts, but also we're going to tell the story of a philosopher's reversal, where he exemplifies the polarity switch, right? Where at the extremes, the opposites start to become each other. As always, if you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review us. And of course, if you want a text version of the show with resources, please visit the website at lettusthinkaboutit.com. Until next time, stay safe. <laughs>